Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me, I have Brad. How are you, Brad? Good, mate. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. I think this is uh, first appearance for the season. So I guess I'll, I'll start off before we dive into that Preston result. I guess just overall thoughts on, the, I guess, the summer activity, but also the way the season started and, and how things are looking. Um, oh, look, you know, getting a win in the first game is always going to be a great way to start because um, we normally get off to a slow start. Previous years, we haven't had that transfer activity to get us excited about or not to mention a decent-sized squad. So we've got no excuses, really. Um, but I think the thing that I've been happy with is just the fact that we've actually brought in some attacking power. Um, obviously, with KLP going, we, we we were never going to be able to replace him per se, but it looks like we've actually stretched the squad a bit more attackingly anyway. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll talk now about that that Preston draw, which was nil-nil, but I completely agree. Like that Bristol City game, um, Estepinian, Tete, I, even Tufan, to be honest, I didn't really expect him to be as um, as sort of um, attacking-minded as he was. And then we saw it again this morning against Bradford, but, you know, rat- rattling the post against um, against Bristol City, getting forward against Preston as well um, has been really positive signs to see from him. Um, but yeah, yeah, let's talk that. Definitely. Yeah, um, but yeah, let's talk that that Preston result nil nil. Um, we had Ingram in goal for this one with Grease, Figueredo, and Jones at the back. Really, I mean, it wasn't any changes from um, the Bristol City game other than Tete coming in up top alongside Estupinian, um, with uh, Tyler Smith dropping out of the side. Um, I guess your thoughts first of all on um, that lineup. I mean. We sort of talked last week, Dan, myself, and um, Mike talked about the fact that we have Ali starting at left wing back when we've got, I mean, I assume maybe Elder's not fully fit. I, I don't know. But um, what, what's your sort of take on, on having that striker filling a left wing spot? Uh, interesting. Um, I think probably if you go back to the Bristol City game, we actually, for good patches, didn't look like we're in control. But we were threatening enough. Um, and it was almost like in, in this game anyway, we, uh, we were still trying to play that game, but it's almost like we had a bit too much confidence. We, I think we sort of felt like defensively, and it's always easy to say it when it's a nil or draw and your best players are probably the more defensive-minded players. But um, I'm thinking more out loud that if I was looking at the way we actually played, we were probably not that breakaway side from the first game. And I think that comes down to the, that lineup. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, looking back on the Preston game, I felt like we we tried quite hard in that first half to really get at them and to, to create opportunities and, and break them down. But that second half, it felt like we fell away a little bit. Um, we sort of wilted under that pressure, so to speak. And, and they had a lot more chances in that second half. I think the final tally was 20 shots to six, really, which tells a story. And then six on target for them, only one on target for us. Um, I mean, we had a few other pretty decent chances, like Greaves' header just flashing over the bar as well, for instance. Um, but it does feel like, I mean, granted, you know, Bristol City result, we got the penalty and we got a pretty heavily deflected winner. Um, and if we saw again this morning the fact that we, we can't really create that many clear-cut chances. 
Um, it feels like maybe um, we, we sort of talked pre-season as well about the fact we need that sort of creative midfielder to come in, but it feels like we're that sort of one player away from from really clicking as a side. Yeah, look, that's a really good sort of summary because I was just thinking while you were saying that, well, what if there was someone like a Honeyman in the middle? Um, would that have been the glue? Because, oh, look, defensively, um, we're good. I mean, it's a clean sheet, so you yeah. take it. Um but it does sort of appear to me that, and, and maybe the manager's still trying to work out even the, the, the exact way that formation should sit. But for me, I think he said something in the post-match about the fact that the forwards looked tired or ran out of legs. And, and I felt like, you know, and he made those changes accordingly, but I don't think that was the problem. I think the problem was our central midfield just seemed to be there. And other than a few good moves from Slater early in the second half, um, we didn't really look like we were there to play in the second half. Yeah, that's right. We've got this comment here from from Joe Bloggs, which um, yeah, is exactly what I was sort of getting at, and and the sense that I got, and and you got alluding to with those um, substitutions made. It did feel like we just sort of sat back in that second half, and um, whether it was a bit of Preston's pressure and, and us sort of not being up for the fight, or whether it was us sort of saying, "Look, we're away at a pretty decent side. Let's settle for that nil nil draw, get that point on the board." remain undefeated in the league. Um, it it was a, a bit of a disappointing performance that second half. Um, I guess, you know, I guess we're sort of used to, well, we saw the previous week against Bristol City, that push and that fight till the end, which may well also be influenced by the fact that when you're at a stadium with, what was it, 16,000, 17,000 the previous week at the MKM sort of roaring you on, there is that extra little bit of um, motivation to, to push on for a winner. Yeah, and, and look, that's not a bad thing either. You know, if we're yeah. going to be at home and we're going to be at least in this top half to play off positions, we have to basically pick up the points away. I, I think probably the thing that, and maybe why the manager's not probably overly stressed about it yet, is there's been a lot of overhaul in this first-team squad. And Preston away, not an exciting fixture for, for, for anyone, but the fact that a clean sheet and a point, wow, we'd take that. Yeah, four points from the first two games absolutely would take that and uh, off to a good start. As you said as well, really important that we've got another clean sheet. I think I saw the stat, I don't have it in front of me, but Ingram's uh, clean sheets away from home, I remember he went on that ridiculous streak last season as well. It was like six or seven games in a row without a goal conceded because I think he went off injured against QPR, Cartwright came on and we conceded in that one. Um, But it's another clean sheet away from home for him in this one. So um, I think, and I think I saw his like second or third most saves in the championship at this point after two games, which is um, also pretty remarkable. Oh, look, it is, mate. And and these, to be honest, although I know the stats probably don't flatter us, these are the games last year that we would have conceded something in the last ten minutes and walked away with nothing. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. And so that hopefully is that that's a mindset thing that can change, and. You know, it's sort of funny that probably to, to reiterate what you said about Joe's comment is here we are sort of almost feeling like nil all draw at Preston is actually not up to scratch because I think we've probably got those reasonably high expectations of of what this squad can do. But I think probably the only thing that was a negative from the game itself was it did it did seem like there was like you said there was a link missing between forward and back or back and forward, whichever way you want to look at it. And I think that central midfield spot, and it may even be just style or shape, not necessarily the cattle we've got, that he'll probably have a good look at. 
Fair enough. Um, your MVP votes from the game. Um, well, uh, look, I have to put it out there to say I've already seen Alex's. So <laughs> I've, I've got to deliberately do something different because I had almost the same. I yeah, had right. Greaves again. Greaves just, I love him. He just epitomises everything about why we are a decent team. If we didn't have him there, I can honestly say I think we're about a quarter of the team we are without him. Um, he's such a rock and it's easy when it's nil all to say you're defensively good. Uh, but he, yeah, he just keeps impressing. Every, every time he turns out, he just doesn't seem to really have anything but black and amber blood. So we love him. Um, Ingram, clean sheet, and and probably on a night where we could have easily conceded one. And it wasn't like they didn't necessarily pep at us a bit. Um, so I would probably give Ingram the two. Um, and, oh, look, I, I, I probably think as much as, I like I said, I know who you've picked, so I'm deliberately not going to pick. There was times there where, although I sort of said in the middle of the ground, I felt like, we got a bit overrun or whatever, but there was a flash there where Slater seemed to be on song. Yeah. And he won't probably by his own admission say he had a good game, but there was a sign there where we felt like we could have a good 10 minutes here and do something, and that's when he was up and about. Unfortunately, he drifted away, but I could have probably given one point to about five of them. Yeah, no doubt. And I think it's actually gone under the radar somewhat that despite our summer of spending and recruiting and, and sort of overhauling of the squad, that it's Regan Slater who cost us, what, £50,000 in January who who's yeah. earned that starting midfield spot and, and it's on merit and he's one of the best, uh, you know, um, engines, I guess I'd say, in the side. I, I, don't, I don't quite know how else to express it, but that player that just sort of keeps things rolling, keeps things ticking over, um, you know, resets the play, gets the ball out of defence and, and launches it forward. Um, and he's becoming a really consistent player for us, it seems. Yeah, and look, for a young guy, he sort of has a, he's a different player. We know that to what Honeyman is, but he's probably the closest thing we've got to that um, mentality like Honeyman had. You know, Honeyman, yeah. he could go wandering at times, but that hunger and that I'm not getting beaten, I really like the fact that a young bloke that Slater's got that already. So, yeah, hats off to him. He stepped up, and for a guy that's you know, probably in most of our thoughts would be lucky to be sort of the bench options this year. He's he's doing all right. Absolutely, yeah. I, I went reasonably similar, as you, as you know. I, I had Ingram for the three votes. I thought, uh, you know, an outstanding display in, in goal. Had a really smart save in that first half, reaction save, which kept a, a pretty decent quality shot out, which was um, really good to see. Um, he's another who's really sort of, you know, pre-season you wouldn't have necessarily thought he'd be in the side. And, and granted, Baxter has that injury, but... Uh, he's really not put a foot wrong at all in goal. Uh, Graves for the two votes, as you said, he's almost, or if not, definitely is our most important player just in the way that he holds that back line together, which is remarkable to say about a guy so young. Um, and, I mean, we'll talk in the segment, the Bradford game, but it looks like, you know, his, his maraudering runs forward are sort of convincing the manager that maybe he's got a future up uh, a bit further up the ground, which is uh, interesting to see. But uh, he, he was certainly another standout performer in that game against Preston. Um, and then I went, yeah, Tufan for the one. Um, I think I think Tufan is sort of um, standing out to me because of the fact that I just had such low expectations for him, which is a really like backhanded compliment. But 
I think because in my mind, I had the bar set so low after the way that his spell at Watford went and I just had vibes of Ben Arthur and players like that with, you know, bad work ethic and the wrong attitude coming into the club. I had the bar set really low for my expectations for him and he's absolutely smashed the ceiling with his displays in all three games, to be honest. Um, so he got my one vote for that game. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so speaking of, we'll talk that Bradford City game now. Um, that was this morning at about 4.30 a.m. Australian time. I didn't actually get up for it, but thankfully because it's on our uh, sort of our streaming sports service, I was able to watch the replay at a much more palatable 6.30 a.m. Um, so still managed to get through the whole game, which, uh, yeah, shout out to iFollow. It would be great if iFollow was that sort of instantaneous with its replays and we could just get up on a nice Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and watch the game instead of staying up at 2 a.m. But that's by the by. Um, this this was a bit of a rotated lineup, as we sort of expected. We had Robson in goal, um, Elder, McLaughlin, Jones, and Williams, I believe, was the back line, um, if the if the lineup that I saw is to be believed in terms of the shape, um, with Tufan, Cannon, and Greaves in midfield, um, and then Ali, Wilkes, and Koval up top. Uh, pretty interesting dynamic sort of lineup. I remember because I sort of started watching the game, having not seen the lineup, but sort of just piecing it together from who was on the pitch. And I thought, oh, you know, is it three at the back with Elder on Elder at wing back and then Ali up top? And then I was trying to figure out how that then meant we were lining up on the other side of the pitch because of Williams and um, and Wilkes and I was and, and Koval as well. And I was trying to figure out maybe Koval, maybe it was three at the back and Koval was playing midfield. I wasn't too sure. It was a bit bit of a dynamic formation. Um, and then we made those subs at halftime anyway, and, and Coyle came on with Figueredo, Slater came on in the second half, and then Tete and Estupinion as well. So, um, same, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I think we're sort of playing around with the lineup and, and the formation a bit as well, um, which was interesting to see in this game. And um, obviously scored that first goal sort of, uh, it was an own goal in the end, but sort of two fans with a great shot against the crossbar. Um, before we conceded two in that first half and, and didn't really get back into the game from that point. But how, how did you see it? I guess starting off with, with yeah, that lineup and then how you saw the gaming unf- game unfolding. Well, I mean, it's basically an armchair view, mate, so I'll put it out there. Um, it almost seemed to me like the manager had decided this was a fixture that uh, he can rotate the squad. These guys aren't in the same league as us, pardon the pun. And uh, this squad's good enough to beat, basically, Bradford's best chance. Um, yeah. And that's where I think the lineup came from. So I'm the same as you. I Greaves in the middle of the park just doesn't work. And look, again, we, we, I just sung his praises against Preston. He's a good player. But him in the middle of the park, to, for, for, for what advantage, I don't know, with the squad that we've got. Um, we, we didn't need to play. Well, it, it looked to me we were sort of playing like a, well, almost like a 4-1-2-3 and Grief was sitting in front of the back four, but then we lost that creativity and link to the front three. Um, yeah. and, and I think although possession-wise and obviously our passing was crisp, we, we didn't actually look a bad side. The, the two quick goals that they scored basically came about the time that I think our players weren't, they were probably set up exactly how the manager wanted, but both of those goals came from loss of possession and changes in the middle of the park. And yeah, that's that yeah. is where we just meddled too much. Yeah, uh, and I think no, that's well, right. Yeah, 
he's the manager's right. We, I saw one of his comments. Um, mind you, it's only print media, so I don't know if it was 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 true or not. But one of his comments about basically, you know, he made a lot of changes, but that shouldn't matter. Yeah, he's right. But the changes weren't just players. It was formation. It was structure. It was a lot. And not to mention, generally, when you make anywhere up to five or six changes, you've generally got a couple of guys that are playing in their normal positions mixed in with that. But then to yeah. put Greaves in the middle of the park like that, not to mention we've got no shortage of midfielders. We didn't need to. Um, yeah, I just think he probably just was almost like he was moving them around on the board beforehand and trying to work out where to fit seven new players. Yeah, and, and I think I think as well... Um, you got players, you know, yes, granted, yeah, the formation wouldn't have helped the players either. But then you've also got the players such as Wilkes who, and Cannon to an extent. I think Cannon had an, an okay game, to be honest. But you've got these sort of fringe first-team players where you're saying to them, show me what you've got, show me that you deserve a place, you know, on the bench or in the starting lineup for the uh, for the league games. And I just didn't think Wilkes offered much at all. I think it was actually funny early on, I was, I was watching the player... <laughs> This is going to probably not sound great. I was watching the player thinking, oh, Wilkes is really putting an effort in. You know, player on the right wing sort of flashing up that line with that that sort of frosted frosted perm. And then I realised it was actually Koval. And I was like, oh, actually, he's the one putting the effort in. Wilkes is sort of just just lumbering around. So, um, uh, yeah, I wasn't too impressed with Wilkes. I think, I mean, maybe the hope would have been if he'd scored a goal or two in this, it would have upped his price with Chef Wednesday and they would have come in and, and taken him off our hands. But, um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a disappointing result for a few reasons like that. Um, just the players, the formation, not necessarily the cup run per se, but just having these games to, to get those minutes into the legs of the squad because we do have, as you said, we've got quite a large squad um, when you actually look at the players. And granted, you know, there are a few who are injured, but... Um, disappointed to go out in that manner you know 65 percent possession but we could only create you know five uh two shots on target i think it was yeah and and, and probably even just talking about some of those guys that were brought in like um and this is not to single anyone out saying they were poor but uh, cannon looked lost um and uh, from, from what you hear about especially going back to the reason why we signed him in the first place he's a real sort of rugged, nuggety attacking midfielder with with not all the tricks, but with just decent passing and, you know, all the staples. But you would have thought, like you mentioned, you know, you've got Wilkes, Coble, you're playing three across the top uh, to, to sort of have that almost ping-pong effect for 20 or 30 minutes during the game where we concede those two goals and probably, to be fair, could have conceded another one just as easily. Yeah. Um, you sort of got to take the fact that the manager got it wrong. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe for a minute that means we win the game if he's got the formation right. But I also think, like you mentioned, it wasn't just the fact of playing a different formation. It was the fact that we're playing two or three guys out of ideal positions as well. Um, yeah. And that doesn't help when you've got this young talent trying to push for a spot. No, definitely. Well, you know, disappointing to go out. Um, obviously played up, played against Richie Smallwood, which was uh, fun to see him back up against City. Uh, played, played, had a pretty reasonable game himself. He was on, um, I noticed he was on corners for them. I was like, I, you know, it's a string to his bow. I didn't really realise that he had, but um, I'm sure he would have been happy with getting one over City as well. Um, and, and, you know, Mark Hughes as an opposition manager talking about, you know, managerial 
uh, meddling with the lineup and things like that. You know, Mark Hughes is a pretty reasonable manager, so he would have set them up um, in quite a manner to um, sort of absorb what we could throw at them and, and really hit us on the counter, which is exactly what they did. Well, it's a good question. What did you think their formation was like? Yeah, it was effective. You know, it was, it was, um, I, I thought, I mean, it was interesting actually. I mean, you talk about players uh, looking lost or looking um, out of position or, un, you know, unsure of what's needed of them. They had a player who was signed from Crystal Palace literally a day, 24 hours before the game. They had a goalkeeper who I think had only signed for them recently as well. And it was his first um, experience with the side as well. So, you know, the, it's not excuses, but like sort of the reasons that we give or the reasons that we're sort of seeing in our side for the performance aren't sort of excuses that Bradford were using. And they they had a strong performance because I think the manager had them set up in a way, as you say, it's a formation that they know, it's a, it's a structure that worked and it was a, an effective one um, and it discounted what we could throw at them. And, and it's, it's sort of ironic, not that he played a brilliant game, but seeing Smallwood up against us, effectively playing in the role that technically you would have liked him to be playing for us instead of Greaves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, not not saying he's, he's he's in our first team. He's not. But uh, I thought personally, mate, I thought that we were a better side in a lot of patches, but they remarkably, um, and it may be the manager, they just stuck to their, their, their role. Yeah. Yeah, fair, fair shout. Um Okay, well, we'll move on then. Um, Off-field news, I guess the biggest piece of news is we did confirm the signing of Lo Tutala, I, I, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, French under-19 international goalkeeper uh, for a three-year deal plus the option of an additional year. Obviously don't know too much about him. I know he was at Spurs up until recently. I think we actually paid a compensation fee to them for him. Um, we'll provide good cover for for, uh, for Ingram while Baxter's out injured. I, I'm I'm really curious about this signing for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, it's being announced and, and treated as a first team signing, which I think you know, fair enough. He's a he's a decent quality player by the looks of things. Um, but then I look at like Koval coming in as an under twenty one signing, and he's been involved in all three uh, first team fixtures so far. Um, and also, what this means for the future of our keepers, because Cartwright's just signed a five year deal. Ingram has signed a new three or four year deal. Baxter, by all by all reports and by all chances, is probably going to be signing permanently next summer, unless you know, unless his injuries are keeping him out for most of the season. It means that we would then have four se- well four senior or four permanent keepers on our books. Um, sure, you know, low to Tyler might go out on loan next season. Cartwright probably goes out on loan again as well. But it feels like. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It feels like we've just got a, an overabundance of um, goalkeeping stocks all of a sudden. And look, maybe, yeah, it could be just his principles, if you like, that he likes to have basically the four options because I don't know what, for example, the loan to, with, with Cartwright looks like, if you can recall him pretty easily or not. But I think he's maybe just not 100% sure who his, who his absolute first choice is. But he's probably got a bit of a mandate, or maybe not a mandate. Maybe his thinking is he just likes to have the options. And if they're not costing him a fortune, then that's okay. And to your youth point, I think, I honestly believe the owners said to uh, 
to the manager, look, I'll give you some money, but I actually want some players that are going to be here for three, four, five years, not one or two. Yeah. And, yeah. And building I mean, we, that dynasty, if you like. Yeah. And it's interesting because we saw those links in generator guys like Ryan Barbell and others who are, you know, 34, 35, 36 year olds where there's absolutely no sell on value. And as you say, you look at like Ali coming in, you look at, um, a few of the other signings as well. And Bax is quite young as well. And Lojitala is quite young. Uh, obviously, Seri's older, but he's there more as that experienced head. But you, most of these players are being signed, you know, Cynic as well, who we haven't even seen yet. But they're all being signed with that view that if they develop and get better with us, first of all, they'll make us better, which is great. But then second of all, we'll have that opportunity to, to sell them and, and actually sort of turn that profit on those players in two, three, four years' time. Yeah, it could be. Look, I think you're you're under something. I think it's almost like almost like a more modern, mature academy focus. Whereas if we get yeah. a good group of youngsters in, six out of ten of them might work. Well, that's pretty good because our academy status would probably be more like two or three out of ten. So um, as long as that wage bill's not getting uh, yeah, that's you know, right too far out, I think the coach is happy and probably if you're the manager and you've got the ability to have a squad that is a bit bigger but you're spreading the money a bit thinner, um, you're probably helping save your job a little bit because you've got these options. Yeah, that's right. That's right as well. It, it, well, yeah, he's got the options. It's just whether he settles on a um, on a lineup that works and that he likes. Um, but I guess that's what, you know, it's early in the season and that's what playing. And, and I guess that's the other benefit of that Bradford game is he now knows what works and what doesn't work with some of these players. So, that, you know, you, you learn these lessons early in the season to hopefully apply them to have a more consistent second half or, you know, two thirds of the season, I guess. Well, when, when we sign the manager, what, what contract is he on? How many years? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. I don't know um, whether it's a two-year deal, potentially. I, I, I feel like with a lot of these managerial deals it's more that rolling contract but um i'll have a look at it i, th- I feel like it would be a two or three year deal um because i'm thinking if, if let's say he's got well at least two seasons two and a half year deal six, yeah two and a half right so yeah. he's effectively had last year was hit the half and then we had yeah, two years yeah yeah so he's got basically half a season to work out what he wants and then another half a season to try and finish respectively so he can move into next year so he may be playing the longer game now. And, and the other thing that probably would be interesting is, and you may not know this, but it's probably a good one out there for listeners or someone else. Who would be our highest paid player now? Yeah, my, my guess would probably be Sari, only because right. all of the sort of fanfare around signing him and we offered him the deal. He rejected it essentially, wanted to go to a different club. Then Ajun went back to him and sort of talked him around. Now, he could quite literally have just talked him around and convinced him and said, look, look at these other players we've signed in the meantime. We really do mean business. Come and play for us. Or yeah. he could have talked him around by offering him a higher salary effectively. Um, yeah. And he was, cause he was on 40,000, 30,000 a week at Fulham, 50,000. It was, it was a pretty right. substantial salary. So yeah. I, I have no doubt he's taken a pay cut, but you know, whether he's on 25, 30,000 with us, I'd, I'd probably say that makes him our highest paid player. Yeah, because I mean, I, I would assume if you if you go past maybe the two most recent signings, you're starting to get a fair way down the salary band with yeah. most of our first team squad, and that's that's technically what us fans have been calling out for a long time is a more sustainable model. And 
if we can see that the wage is under reasonable control, but we've got a bigger squad, um, and that's giving the manager every power to do what he can, well, there's no excuse. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think I saw there was an interview that Ajun did yesterday talking about our, um, you know, not our FFP issues, but just the fact that we are spending a lot more and that FFP prevents us from spending as much as he likes, which I was sort of thinking to myself, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Yeah, that's just, right. <laughs> you know, Blow all his money in one season. That's sort of the whole point of FFP. Um, but it does mean that we have to sort of walk before we can run, which, uh, again, isn't isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, cool. Okay, we'll we'll move on and we'll talk about these two games we've got coming up. But first, we'll play our uh, our game, and it's quite funny because I sort of wrote out a list of players I was going to use for this game before the season, and uh, didn't didn't change the order at all. But it just so happens that, um, you know, as a, sort of a hint for you, it's more of a a classic player than it than it is a recent player this week. Which um, oh, thank you, last, mate. thank you. Last last <laughs> time for you, I think I had Windass, so I'm sort of lining up a few of those for you unintentionally. Uh, that's brilliant, mate. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So the first clue is that I made 60 league appearances for City and scored 11 goals. Okay. 60. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's about two, two league seasons, depending on the league we're in, I guess. Yeah. I've got nothing for you yet, mate. Okay. Um, I joined City in 2008 and I left in 2010. I can give you the club he signed from, but I reckon that's going to be too obvious. I'm going to leave that off. <laughs> Don't you? I'll, I'll try and yeah. think. So we're basically talking about the heyday, and he came for two years. He scored um, 11 goals. Oh, I'm scared to say who I think it is. Oh, you can have a crack. No, it's not Bullard. No, no. Right, that's, okay, a, that's, a, that's not a bad guess, actually, because, yeah, he would have left in about... Yeah, 2010 or early 2011, maybe. Yeah, yeah. it was no, probably it was probably the 60 games that gave it away, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have played 60, maybe six. Um, okay, so basically, he played two seasons. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll give you the uh, the position he played and the uh, number he wore as well. That might help as well. Okay. So, played as an attacking midfielder or on the wing, and I wore the number 10. Oh, Giovanni. Yeah, spot on. I was going to say that he signed from Man City, and I thought we would. I actually, yeah, fair, did we sign? Did we sign anyone else from them around then? I don't think so. So yeah, um, been a bit obvious. No, I, I think no, no one from then. I think Boateng came from. Was that's who I was thinking of. Was he Spurs or Middlesbrough? No, I, I thought Somewhere. I thought he was. Oh, actually, look, I can remember. I'm going yeah, to look that up. Not hundred percent sure. I think he was at. I think he was at Middlesbrough when we got him. Yeah, because I remember he he was one of these signings that I was most excited about because yeah. I've seen him play at the top level so many times. Yeah, that is we uh, we got it from Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah, but uh, Giovanni, what a superstar he was! Oh, absolutely brilliant! Um, you know, pretty much every one of his goals is like a, an instant highlight. So, um, well, yeah, definitely I see. made the first the Fulham one. I yeah. was basically late at night watching it at home. No one cared about Hull City then, so I was sitting at home watching it live for the first time on Foxtel. And um, when it went in, you just, who is this guy? Yeah. Who is this absolute superstar? Because he just did it for fun. And then, of course, he went on that run where I think he scored at 
Spurs, obviously the Emirates was still the peach of all time. Um, he scored another one somewhere else as well. But I just yeah, loved I think it was the Spurs game. I just loved the panic in the Spurs defence setting up that wall because they'd seen what this guy could do. And it's probably the only time where you genuinely would stop everything you're doing just to see if this guy's got it in him because he just he just did it for fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Good, you know, great player. And he still, I think, didn't he come out when we re-signed our um, kit deal with Umbro? He came out and was part of the promotion for that. And he still tweets and supports City as well, which is um, pretty awesome to see. But he's still got that connection. Um, yeah, I think, cool. he, I think he probably really... I mean, look, signing him was probably a bit of a Hail Mary to, to some extent. I mean, the guy's obviously played at the top level, so you know he's, he's any good. But you think about how important those goals were, and we often you know, laugh about being equal top in the league before Christmas and all that sort of stuff. But without his goals, we, we were a bottom three side automatically. He rescued yeah. us that many times. Yeah. No, Absolutely. Okay, uh, well, we've got two games to preview for this week, uh, both against relegated sides, um, the first of which is against Norwich uh, this Saturday night, um, managed by Dean Smith, who took over uh, towards the end of last season um, from Daniel Farker, who'd been there for a few years. Dean Smith, previously of Villa. Um, I don't quite... I mean, you know, talking about managers and, and abilities, I, I'm not quite sold on Dean Smith as a manager. I think he did pretty well with a Villa side that... It, largely been put together by his predecessors and where he'd been beforehand. I mean, he was at Brentford as well and wasn't pulling up trees there, so to speak. Um, so, you know, they, they've started with a draw and a loss to Cardiff and to Wigan, uh, not respectively. So the loss to Wigan um, beat Birmingham in extra time in the league cup this morning. So I still haven't actually won a game in 90 minutes this season. Um, obviously, you know, quality squad, they've got Pukki, they've got Rashika, they've got, Max Aaron's, they got like all, all sorts of Premier League. I was going to say Premier League quality players, but Premier League experienced players is probably a better way to put it, considering how they tend to go in the Premier League. Um, so they've they've clearly got quite a talented squad. But <laughs> look, you know, of the three relegated sides, I'd, I'd fancy us a pretty decent chance against them. Yeah, and it's at home, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think that to me is the tipping point. I think all the points you've raised are pretty valid. They are, you know, they've got Premier League players. They've, they've got that experience and exposure. So um, I still think, uh, look, I, I couldn't tell you who, but a, a Canaries supporter told me that they haven't had the greatest pre-season with injuries and these sorts of things. So we're probably still not playing their ultimate lineup yet. So it's probably a good time to get them. I'd rather get them in in uh, in round three than in round 15 because I think yeah. they will start getting that gel back together. Um, but look, uh, I won't do a prediction unless you want me to. No, that's okay. Uh, but I think we'll actually, I think we'll actually beat them, and I really think we'll actually beat them pretty well. Well, actually, I, I, I say that, but then I should take that back because I remember that you're actually doing quite well in our uh, prediction competition. Oh no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate. Jesus. I think there's a bit of. That usual uh, two one or something always sounds yeah. good for round one, so you always pick that. But I, I, it wouldn't surprise me this week, based because of the way he tinkered midweek. The manager comes out with a very similar lineup um, to what we played um, in that first game uh, against Bristol, and 
I actually think that as each week gets closer and closer to that best first 11 playing more time together, we'll see some good results, mainly because of the fact I think he's actually got a great squad. They just need this little time to gel. Um, So I I think we'll go on a bit of a run. I I guess on that question then, talking about lineup compared to that Bristol City game, I guess with... You know, the, the the two that started up top against Preston being um, Oscar and um, Tete, who I, I think looked pretty reasonable without, you know, being amazing. Would you would you put Ali up top with one of them and Elder at wing back? Would you keep Ali at wing back and, and just basically have an unchanged lineup from that Preston game? Or or because I, I, I guess that's almost almost the uh, the biggest question mark is is the front front line and how we line up there. Yeah, and look, it's a good point because I think it it may even be one of those ones where you've actually got to go back to the Bristol game and say, okay, um, where did did it change? So, I mean, obviously we scored, well, both the goals in the second half. We're outplayed for decent patches of the game. But I I think personally the changes that he made um, in that game was what created just not extra chances, but just a little bit more of something like we, we looked all game like we could score but the last sort of 25 minutes we looked like we were going to score yeah and although um you can say what you like about penalty or otherwise the those changes that were made back then was elder clearly came on and so did um so did doherty i think because they both yeah so he, he, though doherty's now out with a um he, i think he's torn his calf yeah. or something yeah, so I, I thought anyway, he obviously, um, and if I remember, when he brought Elder on, he, he rejigged that whole sort of front three setup. Yeah, and Ali went up front, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would probably say, knowing that that's the case, I'd probably start with Ellie up front. Yeah. No, um, good shout. Keep very much, I would certainly keep that back three the same, um, and I just think you could probably tinker with that midfield a little bit. I think go back to that Bristol lineup, but throw Ellie up front. Fair enough. Um, and then we've got Burnley midweek, uh, you know, managed now by Vincent Company. I always find it funny with these sorts of sides, you know, Stoke in recent years as well, where they, they build up their reputation and that perception of being that dour, difficult to break down sort of long ball side. And then they clearly, whether it's the owners getting that pressure from the supporters or they just, see the opportunity to have that breath of fresh air come in, almost take a 180 view of how they want to set the squad up and how they want to play their football. And you see company come in, they've brought in you know, the player that we competed with for signing Scott Twine. They've brought in a couple of other really um, sort of attacking minded players. Um, and granted they were playing Huddersfield on the opening day who probably played into their hands a little bit, but they were able to play a much more attacking style of football. Uh, and it looks like they've settled in really quickly under company. And it's why I sort of said I'd probably rather fancy our chances against Norwich than against Burnley. Um, granted, I mean, they, they drew their second game of the season, so they uh, they are gettable in that sense. They're not some all-conquering team at this stage of the season. So I guess much like your point about Norwich, it's better to play these sides in games three, games four, rather than 13 and 14 uh, when they've settled in a little bit more. But... Um, yeah, look, haven't beaten them for a while. We beat them 3-0 in the promotion season under Bruce, I want to say, in the championship, um, but not since then. Um, so how do you see this one? Yeah, and to be honest, I don't like them. We, I never have. Um, we always end up... 
losing to them or playing really well, even in the Premier League days when we were yeah. both up there together, I think they beat us 1-0 on a freezing cold night at their dig. And they, we they were park and couldn't yeah. get close. They, they were always that side like Sunderland where late in the season would be saying we need three points in this game to stay up and we'd be targeting that fixture and then we'd lose 1-0. It was it was them yep. and Sunderland. It, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think probably the... Uh, I think, um, if I'm right, Burnley did... When they played um, Huddersfield, did they beat them 2-0? Uh, 1-0, I think. One now, okay, but yeah, uh, I remember when when the press conference was on, there was something there about that. I don't actually think Huddersfield had a shot. Yeah, that that was all right. Yeah, so I think probably you could say at that point that um, uh, I would take very little out of the Huddersfield performance, um, other than to say that you know that's that's just how that is. The game they played against Luton. Um, and this is from a Luton supporter, he basically said, look, he felt that they were better than them and they deserved something. Um, but, I know that you know, being, being, being Luton deserved something out of yes, it. Yes, being Luton deserved something. And I, he said something to me like, you know, they got off to a good start. Um, but uh, so Luton scored very early, didn't really have the greatest of games, but on a night they didn't play that well. They were actually... Pretty close because obviously I think everyone thinks Burnley's going to be this this top four rocket guaranteed side, and then you know company's going to make sure because of his background that these guys are going to just go straight up and leave us all behind. But I can see them having real problems with the fact that their expectations are just too high already. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I think this season more than any the relegated sides aren't aren't guaranteed to go straight back up, and as you say, I think that pressure of expectation might actually get to um well especially i i don't see dean smith lasting at norwich this season and i i mean i think i don't think companies in any danger but as you say mm. i think burnley might sort of start to get ahead of themselves a bit yeah i mean we know that poor old luton are going to struggle right we, we know that but if they can technically only salvage a draw at luton i don't think they're the top three team that they think they are um, and so, again, it's a good time to get them. Having said that, if I was doing a prediction, mate, um, and I know we are playing them away, aren't we? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so I'm going to have to say 1-0 to Burnley. Yeah, I think, I think. look, if we can get... Uh, oh, obviously, four points would be fantastic out of this, but even if we could just get two or three points out of this, so either a win and a loss or two draws, I'd, I'd probably take that um, uh, out of these two games. I think... I think we deserve to get at least something out of the two games, so sort of a, a point at minimum. Um, but look, it's it's a good early test. It's a good free hit in the sense that if we had lost the first two, then we'd be coming into these two games saying, "Gee, we really need something um, to get off the bottom of the table, to get points on the board, and get rolling." But having four points banked already, um, these games don't carry that sort of pressure in that sense, and we can more just use them as a yardstick on where we are compared to these bigger sides in the division, I think. Yeah, I agree, mate. And, I mean, if you think about, you know, without setting a, a lofty target for where we'd like to be um, at the end of the season, we obviously don't want to be anywhere near relegation. And if anyone was sort of trying to work out roughly what, what sort of point conversion we need, we really need to end up getting about 
60 to 65 points plus yeah to, to make things work which really means like you said we're sort of looking there at three points out of two games or, or two out of two keeps us on track with that so if in doubt go to the average mode and, and run with that no doubt no doubt well look thank you for joining me for this episode we've had four games to run through so um we've done well with that so thank you for that thanks for having me mate no worries. And thanks, everyone, for listening in to another episode of the Tigers Down Under. We'll be back this time next week to review these two games and uh, look ahead to the next set of fixtures. But until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, the Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Odds. The music was created by Amber and Black. All oh, the city's on fire Where the burning desire Tigers are roaring and destiny's calling Cause now is the time Yeah, the city's on fire We're going higher and higher There's no turning back cause you're right